Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Rami Yahedi. We talk about his experience on the front lines of the Iraq War. You're going to love it. Please like and subscribe. Thank you. Welcome on on the show, man. Uh, I, I didn't hear everything about your story, just an intro, just because I'm so curious, but I'd love to hear more about your beginnings, where you came from, and how it got you to where you are now. Yep. Uh, you know, I came to the United States in 1993. How old are you? 24. 24. You were even born, I think. You said you were 19. Negative, negative five years old. Negative five years <laughs> old. But, but, you know, yeah, I came to the United States in 1993, right from Germany, Hamburg. I used to live in Hamburg, but I'm Persian. I'm fully-blooded Persian. And it was very challenging. It was very challenging when the, I came. The journey here, or the, the, your life the, the journey by itself was, <clears throat> sorry, the journey by itself was very challenging because it was hard to give me a visa. And I got a visa finally. And my dad wasn't happy with me because I was in Germany. Just go a little bit back how I got to the Germany. I was in Iran. I served in the military and in an Iraq Iran war. And I got out of it, lucky, alive. How long and, were you in the war for? Uh, almost three years. Wow. Yeah, three years. What I was, was your in the, position in the war? I was in the Special Forces, and I finished that. After any soldier, you get a PTSD and that kind of thing. I dealt with that for almost six months, close to the year. And I had to leave the country because we change sometimes when we change our environment. Yeah. And my psychologist says... You can you cannot be here. This is a lot of memories, a lot of stuff. Just change and go. And my sister at that time, she was in Germany and Hamburg. And I called her up and I said, I gotta come over there, see you, sissy. And I went over there and uh, was there in Germany for close to a year and a half. And it wasn't it was a country that I wanted it because people they were so cold. Mm-hmm. German people are very cold, like hospitality is not there. It changed a little bit now, but I decided to move to United States because my high school sweetheart was here. She was from Iran as, as well, and she moved to United States when I went to the war, and she got the green card here. And I said, I'm going to go. And I never forget my dad said, you're out of your mind. And we were in the train station. I was going to Holland to, you know, grab a flight to go to Chicago. And he said, why you want to do this? You don't know the language. You don't have any money. I had exactly $475 in my pocket. That's it. And of course, the, you know, the ticket. I said, I don't know, but I, I want to do it. If I survive the war, I want to survive this. It's going to be a journey. I know it's not going to be easy, but I want to give it a shot. And sometimes in life, you got to the point that you can't go back. The only way you have is just go forward. And I decided to go. Came here and 1993. And the first job that I had, you know, I was washing dishes in the local uh, pizza place. They called Oasis. I think they're not there anymore, but it was in like a neighborhood, family neighborhood. 
suburban neighborhood and I was working there washing dishes and it was, I learned a lot over there. I learned a lot. I worked there and I couldn't even speak English and I learned it. I learned a lot from the drivers, the pizza delivery drivers. And one day I never forget Kevin walking and said, what's up? And I, I was looking at the ceiling <laughs> because what's up? What is up? And I thought there's something up there and they were laughing at me. And I didn't know why they're laughing, but they were working me. And every time they were coming in, they were asking the same goddamn question. And next time they came and I said, okay, I want to ask you that. I said, Kevin, what's up? And he was busy. He was very busy. And he said, oh, nothing going on. I got a lot of stuff I got to run. You know, I talked to you later. I said, hmm, it means that I am busy or I have something to do. And I had a little notebook like yours. I still have it. And I was writing down what is up equals <laughs> like I'm busy, I'm yeah. tired, I got to go. I came up with it. This is how I learned English. And that, that was the only way I could do it because we didn't have Audible. We didn't have, you know, the YouTube that you're going to go in there and listen to, you know, you know, English language or anything else. I had to learn from people. And I couldn't go to a school because... My fiance at that time, she, she was a student at the University of Texas and she had to go to school and I had to work. My rent was $320, $50 a month. Now is $2,000 a month. And I had to work and I was getting $3.50 an hour. And, uh, you know, and between, you know, when the restaurant was slow, the pizza place was slow, I had to go do door hanging and put flyers on the door to promote the, you know, the, the pizza place. I did that for almost two years. I learned a little bit more, you know, English. And one day I was driving down in North Austin and it was an Italian restaurant. And I went over there. I said, are you hiring? And they said, yeah, we're hiring. We need a dishwasher. I said, dear Lord, well, again? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I always want to have my restaurant. That was one of my dreams that, when I came here, I said, I got to do something. I got to make something out of myself. And I went, took that job, Italian restaurant, Mamma Mia's Italian restaurant, Shoal Creek Anderson Mill, Austin, Texas. And I went over there. I started working, but I had a plan in my mind. I said, okay, if you want to learn anything, you got to learn it from the foundation. You got to learn it from scratch. It doesn't matter, working out, studying, anything that we do in life, we have to do it from the basics. What is the basic in the restaurant? Wash dishes. I start washing dishes again, and after that, I start, you know, being a prep guy, learn the menu, salad boy, pizza boy, line cook, you know, I learned every part of the restaurant because I knew if one day I want to own my restaurant, you got to learn everything. And then from the back of the house, I learned everything. And then one day I told the manager, can I go be a bar back? I said, bar back? Well, you want to do that? I said, I work in the kitchen, but I want to be a part-time in the bar back. I want to clean the bar. I'm going to help the bartender. I start bar backing. And then I did that. And then I said, can I work on the floor? I want to be a busboy. I start busboying. After like uh, three years over there, close to four years, I was a manager. I, 
my, I grew so fast because I was just learning and learning and like a sponge absorb, I, I was just absorbing things and soak it in. Well, what was motivating you through all that to, to do that? Because I want to be, I didn't want to be the dishwasher. I want to just grow. I want to be somebody else. I didn't want to be in my comfort zone, which is most of the people do. They want to be in comfort zone and they think that everything is going to change and not going to change. It's not going to change. You, as, as we spoke earlier, it's all about the self-awareness. You got to know who you are, what you want in life. And that wasn't for me to be a dishwasher or anything. It's not bad job. I love those guys, but I had a dream that I can build something in order to believe, build something. You have to do something different. If you want to have something different, you got to do something different and not going to just happen by itself. Therefore, you know, I became a manager. I learned everything. And then after a year again, I became a general manager and the restaurant owner decided to open a restaurant downtown Austin. And we had to move this restaurant to North to West Campus. And we give it a name, Piccolo Italian Restaurant. And he said, can you go open it? I knew everything. And I opened it. And one day he came to the restaurant and said, I want to buy it. He said, what? I said, I want to buy the restaurant. It was $250,000. And I got a partner, one of my best friends. And I put the money down, 10 grand. And I said, we're going to pay it. And then we paid it off. And the Piccolo Italian restaurant was voted the best Italian restaurant in August 2001 by, C- by people of Austin. And it was amazing. And I was in the highest Imagine you become from a dishwasher, you get $3.50, and you buy your car with a credit card. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, it was like a heaven. Yeah. But I didn't lose myself. And I had the best staff, I have the best culture. Because when you come from nothing to something, you know the value. It's always like that. How does that experience affect you now? What did you learn from that time that you still bring with you every day now? It helped me to build my current company and the way I deal with people is totally different because I'm a people person. If, you know, people can make you or break you because what I learned during that career was I couldn't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Nobody can do it alone. As long as you acknowledge that yet you need other people's help, you're going to be okay. But if you think that I'm came from the zero and I went to hero and I don't need anybody. You are wrong. You going down, brother. Yeah. It's just not like that. It doesn't matter where you at. I, I have a technology company right now. Great staff, great job, but I can't do it without my people. I love my people. I'm nobody without them. It's often you see in, in men, like a lone wolf mentality where, I mean, I have it to some degree, but they think that, I had to do the trauma or they had to figure things out when they were young by themselves that a lot of men think that they should do it all by themselves, that they can get to where they need to go alone. That, and it's almost an egoistic pride. That if I do this alone, then I'm great in all these things and they lose love, they lose friends. Was it ever part of your mentality of like, I can do this alone or did you, was it just natural to you for you to get help? You know, it was, it was, it was me, for me, it was very natural because if you go, go back to my past, I served. And when you're in the military, it doesn't matter what country, where you serve. I love all these brothers and, and the sister in the uniform. You're not alone. You are a family. 
your lives is depends on each other. And then you create that atmosphere, you create that culture, you create that environment, and that will show you that you alone are nobody, you nobody. You need other people. And that's how I carried that mentality until today. Like, I may still have that mentality. I never left a man behind. I will never leave my staff behind. Yeah. This is me. And you, you can't change that. You got to go through it. You got to go through it and grow through it. That's different. Some people, they go through the pain, but they're not growing. They're not learning. That's the problem That's most of the people, they don't understand. They think their pain is a sign of weakness. They think the pain is something against them. It's not. Your pain actually makes you stronger. Yeah. How How is that experience for you? What What pain made you stronger? Like what pain created the man in front of me most what was the most powerful pain that made you who you are the most powerful like a pain that i had one day i was here and i was so frustrated and i never forget and because i went to a divorce and i kind of lost everything when, when was this it was like uh, 14 years ago 15 years ago and i lost everything and due to the divorce which is the restaurant and let it go and everything and, you know, I went back to zero again. Look at, just imagine that you're driving a car, you have a full tank of gas, and it says F, and then you go, you go down to zero, and then you got to build it back up. you got to feel it. And for me, because I started it like that with zero, and I started it again. For me, it wasn't that hard because I had that mentality, the fighting mentality. And... I never forget my son was three years old. I was in the uh, Parma Lane, which is in the famous, you know, highway here. And he loved McDonald's. And he asked me, like he was showing me that I want French fries. It's very painful that you have to think that should I buy French fries for my kid or put a gas in my car? It's painful. It's very painful, and I couldn't do anything. And six months later, I was a chief operating officer of the transportation company. Well done job. I had Sean with a, you know, with a, you know, Lincoln Town car driving around and everything else. Life changes as long as you accept the reality and face it and fight through it. Was we are human. We're not all the same. And I'm not a Superman. I have my own downtown too. I get depressed. I get discouraged sometimes, but you got to pick yourself back up and you got to dust yourself and you got to keep on going. Otherwise, you will lose. What makes you keep going? Is it a belief that it'll change? Like, What are the driving factors in your ability to face the discomfort and the pain? It's, it's a belief. We, we belief are, in what? Your belief of that I can do better. Belief of... Like, things, things will get better. Things will get better as long as you work harder. And then, you know, and some are spiritual. Like, I'm a, I'm a God loving person. I love God. And he never left me behind. Like, I prayed and he gave it to me. How, how, how was it for you? Let me rephrase it. How could you find faith when it was hard to see it? 
is just to be you and be honest and then have a real, real transparent conversation with your creator. That's what you have to do. Like, I never forget. It was raining so hard. I didn't have anything. I was walking down the street and I was crying. And and I said, why did you came to this country? I couldn't speak English. I was tired, all that stuff. But I said, dear Lord, make me a stronger. Show me the way. Show me the light where I have to go. But as I said, most of us, the big problem that we have, we are not patient. Patient is the key. You have to be patient. It's not going to show up on your door. Have you seen people that as soon as they want something, it happens for them? I'm not like that person. Neither am I. I have to freaking work so hard to get what I want. And some people, they just, they say it, they have it. But we can't go back there and say, God, why you do this to me? I have to work my butt off. And these people, they're getting it. You're not fair. I, I, I don't say that. Every person is different. Your destiny is different. Therefore, what kept me going and what keeping me going right now is that faith, is a belief that we can do it. I can do it. I can make a difference. I can help people. People can help me. It's, it's all comes with what you believe, what you believe in the bottom of your heart. If you believe that you're going to be a loser, you're going to be a loser. If you believe that you're going to be a winner and help other people, you're going to be a winner. But my whole life is about giving and helping others because when I was in that situation, people helped me. They guide me. And I still have Is a there ever a, a fear in the back of your head somewhere unconsciously or a, a voice in your mind that is scared of going back there, is scared of, of, of going to an empty tank again? Is there ever a voice in your mind that reminds you of that or, or warns you of that? Like, how are you dealing with that? <laughs> this is so, so funny you ask that question because I had a situation, I was dealing with one, one situation, and I told myself, the worst case scenario, Rami, is going to be this. You're going to go back to where you started it. What would you do? And I said to myself, I would have started back up again. I can't give up. This is me. And I have a tattoo here that says never give up. I got that tattoo because everybody said, what, 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 you got a tattoo? Never give up. I said, because I can't. It doesn't exist. For me, it doesn't exist. Die, do or die. I cannot do it. What is the worst case scenario is going to happen? You're going to lose everything, right? But it's still, you got you. It's still, you got your mind. You got your fate. You got the people around you. If you want to make it work, you can make it work by working hard and believing yourself. Yeah. How did that apply to, because we're talking more about life philosophy. But yeah. How did that apply to business? How did that same mentality of building a business or, or you know, building a network or building a podcast, like how did that mindset of, I'm going to make this work no matter what and be patient and work hard. How did that mindset you cultivated through your life experiences with emotional turmoil, how did that help you with the business side of things? You know, the, it's a great question, by the way, because that happened to me. When the restaurant, you know, you remember, you remember 9-11 happened. 
Yeah, I was in New York. I lived in New York during it. Yeah, you were in I New York. I was like four blocks away. When I was young, I was like... Yeah, was no, when, nine, when yeah. 9 11 happened, 36 restaurants in Austin, they went under, they're bankrupt. I was one of... Why? why? Because the people, they were scared to go out racism, yeah. and then just eat and everything else. And then, put it this way, I had a restaurant runs by Iranian, American guy. They were writing on my wall that terrorists and all that stuff... And I wasn't, it was, I, I don't do politics and all that stuff, but I fight. And I told my staff that we're going to fight. And then I had to lay off a couple of people. We decided for them to go. They got another job, like my chef and everything. My manager, they start waiting tables. And I started waiting tables and doing bartending. And why? As you go back, why I could survive because of this. I did it before. I waited at table. I bartended it. I cook. I was in the line for six months with my cooks cooking. If you are a restaurant owner and you don't know how to cook, get out of there. It's tough. You got to know your business. And then the tough times makes you tougher. Yeah, sure. It, it, it's like that. And I survived because of my past. Because I went through something like that. And it was not more than dying. If something happens right now with my tech company, and they said, oh, we, actually, as a matter of fact, we lost a big account last week. Huge account. What are you going to do? You lost it. You can't stop. You got to go out there and you got to fight the battle. You got to fight the fight. How do you not let a moment like that affect your self-worth affect your perception of self like most people would take that something huge like that and make it they perceive it to themselves as i lost it because i'm xyz i'm a failure i'm not worthy of this i didn't do a good enough job and they start attacking themselves how do you not do that but lose focus because you can't control that's done how do you turn that focus on to good things and keep believing yourself so Rephrase it. How do you believe in yourself when things like that happen, when you fail massively? It's all about the stories you tell yourself. We are, as a human, we have this habit. We want to hear what we want to hear. If that stuff happened, you can, all day that you can tell yourself that I lost. I, these things happen and I lost my my house, I lost my business. You can tell yourself all day long, and it's fact, you lost it. There's no argument about it, you lost it. But as long as you tell yourself that every day, it becomes the reality. We, What I don't do, okay, a loss is past, keep going, keep going forward. Because I believe that if you stay in one place and you're not moving, you die. That's a fact, for me, it's a fact. I stop, I'm not doing anything, you die. You stop, you die. Every, all my friends, they say, oh, he said it again. You stop, you die. I say, yeah, don't stop. You die. And you have to go through it. Have you, you drove at night, right? You're driving at night. I, I don't, oh. it sounds crazy, but I don't, I don't drive. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. But you know, if people, they drive at night, at night, you know, your headlights only shows what? 20 feet, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell me how you go from here to Dallas at night. You go every 20 feet, right? As you drive down the road, the light will shine another 20 feet, another 20 feet, another 20 feet. 
Life is like that. You have to keep going and the light will shine. But if you stop, you only see 20 feet. You don't know what is in the dark side. It's dark, it's scary. Yeah. It's for everybody, but you got to keep going. When do you, when is it okay to stop for a second and feel what's going on? To feel disappointment, to feel anger. Is it okay, ever okay to stop for a second and feel what's going on? Like, of course. How long do you stop for? Is it like a 10 minute session? You're like, ah, or is it a day? Like how, how much time to give yourself to like process the sensation of the, what happened? For me, I had that situation last week and I had to make a decision. And I, I actually, I said, I'm not a Superman. I have my own time, my doubts and everything else. I usually stuck in it for like 10 minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maximum, like 20 minutes. Then I said, okay, done. You got to get out. And I start motivating myself with what? Listening to audios, listening to books, listening to speakers, reading. I start to feeding my mind with the good stuff that push the bad stuff out. Because for whatever happened and happened, you, you break up in your relationship, you can, you have two options to sit and dwell on it for the rest of your life. Why it happened? What is happening? Or you can say it happened. What I'm going to do. I got to fix it. I got to fix myself and keep going. I got divorced. Nobody wants to get divorced. I got a, I got a son, you know, he's 15 and for my first wife and divorce is, is bad. It's bad. Do you think I don't want to see him every day? Yes, I want to do that, but I can't. I have visitation and then we see each other, but it happened. What are you going to do? You got to blame yourself for whatever happened. It happened, but you can't dwell on the past. You can't dwell on what has already happened. You just need to keep on going and create better life for yourself. Now it is, is objectively seeing it as it is, like not fantasizing about it, right? Just saying this happened exactly as it was. Figuring out if you can do anything internally, like what you can take from that loss to propel yourself forward and then ride that way. That's it. But what do you think it is in, in us as human beings that doesn't allow us to do that, that naturally? Like it's even for, even for me, I do all this stuff as, as work. It's still a process for me. It's still like, it's still difficult for me to do that. Um, and I think I have a reason why, but why do you think it is that? Why I, is it difficult for you? For me to do that? Because yeah. it's the, it's the internal, that's the way I put it, right? If a situation, like we all have our triggers that really fuck us up, right? Yeah. So let's say someone's trigger is, um, Money, right? Like, let's say I'm not saying you, but let's say someone lost a big account and they had, yeah, they were broke growing up. They always had a fear of money, and they never knew when the next meal was coming or if they could afford something. And that's an emotional home for them. Fear of money is an emotional home. So then it's like a trigger that's in their body, stuck in their system, that needs to to be released in some way. So then when that happens, it's all this pent up fear about money that suddenly oh, this huge trigger coming up. And with that trigger, all these past patterns of thinking that come with it, right? Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Like, all the all the protective thoughts that keep us from feeling the fear of that. So when those big triggers come up, we're launched to a point in our life we felt so much pain that we couldn't deal with. So we're basically time traveling to a trauma that we have such a hard time feeling. So it's like, basically, when we're reminded of a feeling that was so unsafe for us, it's hard for us to deal with it. That's what it is. I think it's becoming more and more okay with feeling that sensation. But don't you think you have to face it? Of course. Yeah, but Otherwise, it's, you're not going to get rid of it. It's impossible to face it. 
because we, we either, you know, it's through our phones or drugs or alcohol or even like most popular people don't realize just thinking, like just being thinking about all these different things is actually not helping us feel the emotion. That's what I kind of see. So we what triggers your feeling then? What triggers the feeling? Yeah. Of, of uh, my, my own feelings is just, it, it's either certain thoughts, right? Thinking thoughts. How do those thoughts get to your mind? You, one level, you choose them, right? You choose Good yourself. Good job. But you live it comes to your house. At the same time, you don't, in, in a way. You can choose the next thought, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's like, it's like fighting sometimes because your brain reacts to your body. So if you're feeling a certain way, your brain can think anxious thoughts or angry thoughts. And then you have a, the rational self-awareness, which is battling those thoughts. Where you get, you get one saying, I'm scared, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the other side being like, you know what, it's okay. So it's like this kind of battle in your mind. So how, how do you deal with that when one side of your mind is saying X, Y, Z that you don't believe or isn't true? And you know the higher self in you or, or the spirit in you is, is, is saying something else. How do you handle that, that discussion when things aren't going right? Yeah, you know, sometimes I tell my friends that you have two devils on your shoulders. As you said, one says do it, one says not do it, one says do it, one says not do it. It's just, again, it goes back to, for me, it works back to the transparency with myself. What do I really want? Fear, I think it goes back to what you said. It comes from fear, of course, because you can't make that decision. Should I do that? Should I? Because it's a past fear. And I think fear is an illusion. For sure. I believe it 100%. I, I don't even like the word fear. I'm not saying fear is bad, but you can use fear as a fuel or you can use fear fear as a as a weapon to destroy you it's up to you but fear is an illusion because fear is nothing more than we tried something didn't work do it again it's not a failure failure is not the end of the life is end of whatever you're trying to do it's just an obstacle that's it and you got to you got to go over it you got to go under it you got to go above beyond whatever it, you know you have to do you got to you got to f- go but for me, it's between those two devils. I always, it's hard. I understand. I always say, what do I want? Which one I want to listen to? It's very hard sometimes. I agree with you because we have a lots of external forces. It triggers our past. For example, until like today, like I cannot go for of July. That's the only thing that I didn't because of the fireworks. fireworks, I cannot do it. And I'm, I'm sitting professional, everything is, but I, I sit home, watch TV with the dogs because that reminds me of the war. I got over the PTSD. I worked it. I was in it for six months, but it's still, you know, I still watch action movies, all that stuff. I'm okay with it, you know, the blood things. But that little specific thing, I cannot do it. Yeah. And, it's not a fear. It's just I still work it, but I don't let it to get to me. I just sit home, do my things, and, you know, because we have a dog. She's worse than me. And, you know, we have, you know, we, we became good friends. And we just watch TV and do all that stuff. But it's it's very hard. But at the end, it's up to us how we're going to deal with it, how we're going to how we, how we believe what we're going to do. It all goes back to how bad do you want it? Is I want it so bad to be a better person, to help others, and I'm fighting for it. And I don't let anybody stop me. It doesn't matter. You have money, you don't have money. I believe you can help any anybody. 
that that's regardless of your wealth or no. But I agree that some stuff, especially in the past, sometimes trigger us and it stops us. But you have to stop, evaluate, clarify, and make action and take action and just go. As I said again, if you stop and dwell on it, you're gonna be you're gonna be in that stage for the rest of your life. Yeah. You're gonna be stuck, man. What was the PTSD like for you and how did you move on from it? How did you help oh, yourself heal from it? God, that was, that was the hardest thing I had to deal with it. And I'm tank when did you deal with it? Was it years after? Was it No, right it after? was like four months after okay. I got out. So you you did what you did it pretty soon. Yeah, after yeah, okay. because I the sign came because I couldn't sleep. I was up all night, you know, dreaming, sweating, and I never forget. I told my mom because I came home. I said, "Mom, my 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 skin is peeling off. It's burning. I did I burn my back?" And she said, "No, it's not. It's not that." And you know, she said, "I have to go see you know the, the psychology guy diagnosed with that." And I had a severe depression depression and all that stuff that comes with it, all the dreams and all that things. I was in the heavy medication, but that time, God rest her soul. I have a great psychologist. She passed away like five years ago. And we were still talking while even I was here. And I was seeing her every day for 30 minutes to 45 minutes, just you and I were talking, we mm-hmm. were talking. And we're not talking about the war, we were talking about life. We were talking about obstacles, beliefs, God. What did you learn when you when you lost your guy? Because I was, I was a, you know, what was a squad leader? And I had two of guys. What, under, is that, what, is it, what did that entail, being a squad leader? Squad leader is like you have a 12, up to 12 men under your command and you're responsible for it. And I lost four out of eight, out of, you know, out of 12. And it was hard when you're sitting, I'm talking to you. and What was that like being in a, being in a war and losing someone so close to it's, you? It's very hard because I told you that when, when you, like you and I were sitting, you're spending time for months, years to get a, and then you go back, you said, I want to go grab something from my foxhole and come back. And he doesn't come back. The only thing I find was his teeth. They got hit by RPG. And wh- how are you going to say that to your pa- to his parents? And how are you going to deal with that? It's, it's very hard for ordinary people, it, regardless of what military, what country you serve, because a soldier is always a soldier. I always, I, I still wear my dog tags. And everybody was saying, why are you wearing your dog tags? I said, I never forget where I came from. I still have my dishwasher picture in my office because that made me the person who I am today. I still tell everybody I am a soldier. And why I say that, because there is a huge value and other humans that most of us, we don't see, you know? And then when you lose somebody that close and you are in the life and death situation, what is the worst thing can happen to you? Lose the business, get divorced, lose your job. Whatever happens is not worse than dying. 
That's what people don't understand when you are in the situation that you leave or die and every night you get up and you go in the you know, front line, the enemy front line, beyond the f- enemy's line, and then you come back and you don't know you're going to leave or die. And then what else is going to stop you? Really, what else is going to stop? That's for me. I'm not saying everybody should go to war, but what else could you stop me? Because I, I saw the worst thing. I saw the worst thing, losing your buddies. And then when you lose somebody, it's not about the politics. If you are a Democrat, you're Republican, you're independent, those all shit goes out the right at the window. You just think about the man next to you. That's all it is. Nothing else you care. Period. It doesn't matter. You are black, you are white, you are Jew, you're Muslim, you're Christian. It does not matter. What is matter, how you're gonna save the man next to you. That's all matters. If you have that philosophy, which is I have, how am I gonna let my staff I'm going to let my staff down as a leader because I am the squad leader. I'm the CEO, but this is, this is who I'm fighting for. They're my people. That's what that things changes. And war had a lot of bad side effect of me. I dealt with it, diagnosed with it, but I helped me who I am today. That's what I'm always saying. The veteran that they're coming in the United States Armed Forces, those are the most brilliant people. If the government, if the public sector, private sector, they give them the chance to prove themselves and use their skills. I hire a veteran in the heartbeat because, you know, we went through things, we got discipline. Yeah. How did you, to ask it again, how did you actually heal from the the trauma? Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. Time. Just time, just being patient with with it. You got to just be patient. You got to go through it. You cannot run from it. Everybody telling the PTSD, I have some people here that have PTSD and then we talk about it. Time is a great healer. You just got to give yourself time and you got to start doing something that will, you know, help you, that will help you to grow. Talking to people, change your environment. You know, environment is everything. You are a negative, toxic environment, change it. It's not going to be good. After that, my psychologist said, I got it. She, she gave me the best advice. She said, your environment, you got to change it. Everywhere you look, you have a memory of your friends, the family, the relatives, the news and everything else. Move out of this country. And then I, I had a beard. I had to shave. And, you know, I, I changed my whole appearance and all that stuff to just be a new person. And I moved to Europe. That helped me. I changed my environment because it was a new environment. And I came here. I said, oh, wow, that helped me. The people live with PTSD, the first thing they have to do to change their environment, to stay away from what triggers them. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's really hard. Like, you know, but time and environment. That's the main reason you left. That's the main reason I left. And it helped. Yeah, it helped so much. If I was back home right now, I don't know what would happen to me. Be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Although it's like, I'm not comparing this to war at all, but 
I think with any any kind of trauma at all, you know, whether it be or any kind of pattern you want to avoid, right? Like I, I left home to move here. I wasn't because <laughs> because of war, but it was because you know I used to be a drug addict and I used to have a lot of issues and. I was past it, but I kept getting reminded all the time. And in my body, I kept getting transported my body back to those moments. And I believe that we have to face those sides of ourselves over time. When it's too much, too fast all the time, it's too, it, you can't deal with it. It's like you're constantly stuck in it and you're constantly fighting. You don't have space. I think he's space to, to like just be, to feel okay. So by moving out, I gave myself space to, if a trigger came, to actually have time to deal with it rather than being constantly bombarded, right? Because I'm assuming if you were stuck at home, you wouldn't have space or time to actually heal from it. You'd just be constantly in this whirlwind of yep. trigger, trigger, pain, pain, and you'd be stuck in a rut rather than creating time or an hour a day just to be like, okay, I felt that trigger. What actually happened? You need that space to, to, to figure things out. You're yeah. absolutely right. You definitely need the space. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard because those triggers will pop. Yeah. It will pop right now. Like I am very sensitive when people, they're not respecting each other. Because I grew up with that in the service or in the personal life. Like I get very upset that when I see the people, they don't respect each other. Or, you know, you want to respect people as you want to be respected. Yeah. You know, but life is all, if you're asking me, with all the trauma that you and I went through it, your own way, every, every person went through their something. Divorce, childhood, abuse, whatever it is. We go through it and the time, and the patient, and what you learn from it, you got to use to fuel your future. That's what people don't understand. Your pain actually is going to help you to grow. It's not going to put you down. How did the pain from the war, how does that fuel you today? How does that move you today? It just made me so much stronger. I don't think so. Like you put a gun in my head, and you said you're going to shoot. I said, go ahead. If my time is not up, it's not going to go. You know, I'm, I have no fear whatsoever. Do you have like a bunch of like close death experiences, I'm assuming, when you were fighting? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. All the yeah. time? Oh, all the time. All the time. I was carrying him. I was carrying one of my, one of my guys with the amputated leg, you know, and then he was bleeding. And I was saying, Sarge, I'm, I'm going to make it. He was in the shock. And then we had to get him morphine and say, you got to make it, buddy. And I had my radio guy and I said, pick up the goddamn leg. And he said, what? I said, he was frozen. I said, pick up the goddamn leg. And then we picked up his leg because we thought maybe we can put it back together. Six hours later, through this heavy, severe bleeding, he died on my fucking arm. And, you know, when you go through that, do you think what is going to come to you? And somebody just holding your hand and saying, am I going to survive? And then he dies. It's, it's, it's very hard, but when you see that and then you come to this reality of life with the work and everything else and people, they come to you and he says, yeah, I, I just broke up. I said, I know, I understand that. I'm not going to disrespect you. I'm not going to say you that fuck it, all that stuff. No. What did you learn? Get over it. I, I can dwell on. I can dwell on my experiences in the war for the rest of my life. Yeah. The things that I could do to save him. That night, he said, I could tell the guy to stay back. I didn't because he asked me, I want to come with you guys. Yeah. If I could say, no, stay, 
it would be alive. I can dwell on it for, which is I did for it. I, I blame myself so many. I still have one story that usually I don't discuss it, but I blame myself for years over it. But I, I stop and I can tell you that story. Yeah. What is it? When one of my guys, he finished his service. We were in the camp and then he came to the foxhole and you know, when you do a release paper, you have to sign it. And he said, Hey, I'm done tonight. I'm going back home. But can you ask you something, Sarge? I said, what is it? He said, can I stay in my actual camp tonight? And I promise you, I, I zip back, go home tomorrow morning. It was winter and it was like a mile and a half, two miles between our camp, their camp. It was a kind of river things. And, and I said, he said, you can sign it, but I'm going to give you a hug and I want to go. And then I head back from my camp and then go and done. Just sign it. And I signed his goddamn paper. I signed his paper and I said, go. And the next day, I didn't hear anything from the guy that usually they say, you know, okay, this guy's left and everything. I said, okay, nobody told me anything. What's going on? And I reached out to their camp and I said, this guy came. He said, no, he never showed up. I said, what? He never showed up? I signed the paper and we created a search team and we went and looked at the whole two miles in the mountain and the river and his body, we find his body in the river frozen with my leather in his pocket, wet. If I wouldn't sign that goddamn letter that night and I would tell him to stay, he, he slept and fell into the river in the cold fucking winter. If I wouldn't sign that, he, he broke his leg. And if I wouldn't sign that thing, I wouldn't be dead. Well, I can carry that for the rest of my life, which is I did it for years, that it was my goddamn signature. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? It was very hard for me to get over it. But I had to. It was his fate. It was his destiny. I don't know what it is. But if your number is up, you got to go. If you're in the hospital, you have the best surgeon, but the God wants to take you, it will take you. If you're middle of the world like me and everybody died and I survive, it's going to keep you. It's going to keep you because there is a story. There is, there is something that you are obligated to do for other people while you're in the, on this earth. And mine is to just help others. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's brutal, man. Um, and I'm happy that you chose to see it differently. Um, again, I haven't been through war, but just trying to relate to something in your experience. Um, so I, I understand health in the human body pretty well. And last year, my mom died of, of cancer. And I'm in, sorry for that. Uh, in that, um, I kind of knew, knew what was going on. I knew that because I, I believe a lot of diseases is trauma stuck in the body or some kind of emotional, I think spiritual. I, I don't believe that disease is just as simple as, as cells and and being sick. I think it's something to do with, with trauma or, or stuck emotions or something energetic. And I, I knew that was the case with her. But she went to the hospital and within two weeks, dead. Like the pumped her full of drugs, like just terrible. And I knew that was going to happen in the hospital. I saw her. I was like, they're going to kill you. My family my, my is very like... Western medicine orientated, which I'm not. 
and I knew it was going to happen and I, and I couldn't say anything. And I felt, which is rough, it was her time to go. I just knew it in my body. I, I felt her spirit. I knew it was her time to go. Why I can't relate is that, you know, after it, after the fact, I was like, I could have saved her if I said these things. I could have saved her if I told the doctor. I knew she's going to kill, die if you give me these pills. All these things. And then thankfully, pretty fast. At my age too, I was like, I cannot think this way. I just, I cannot think this way. If I think this way, I'm dead too. If I, if I believe that for the rest of my life, I'm dead too. I just Eventually. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just can't think that way. So I kind of just like, you know, I stopped thinking that way. So for you, I know what I did, but for you, how did you actually stop? Like, What, what made you stop thinking that way? What was the final impetus? And how did you do that? How did you actually stop believing that, that you were at fault for his death? First of all, I talked to his family because they they told me I can be the the news guy and I travel actually to his hometown and I explain it to his family. That would that got me closure because I look at his parents and I told them the story. And his father told me, hugged me, and said, son, it wasn't your fault. It was a God's decision. That day, that hug from that old man, and he's, he passed away too, it got me to where I am, and I got over it because he helped me to accept the fact that it wasn't my fault. It was something that happened, like disease, like in nature or whatever. But the sad thing was this guy was almost three years in the war. He didn't die and he died in a fucking river. That was the, that was the thing. Like Chris Kyle. Yeah. Four tours. Didn't die in Iraq or Afghanistan. He comes in and did fucking die in the shooting ranch, helping another soldier. That's sad. And I went to his funeral. It's sad, but it is what it is. What can we do? You can blame yourself or your mother for the rest of your life. Yeah. Why? Well, if I could talk to her about this, I could tell her that don't stop this chemo. If I tell you that it's gonna kill you, which is I'm against chemo. If I yeah. get uh, if well, I get chemo, yeah, if yeah. you know, if I get cancer, I said don't give me shit. Yeah. I want to go out the way I want to go out. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not gonna do that chemical put in my body. Yeah. I'm not gonna do it. But you can go and just dwell on it and tell, oh, I did this. We can do that and we can go as far as we want, but we're going to be miserable. I was really miserable. I was fighting to my brain. I, sometimes it still comes up too, but I go back. I said, hey, we talk about it and all that stuff. It's hard, but we got to do it. Yeah. Like that toxic relationship. Yeah. It's very hard to break up, but it's a toxic. And you got to cut it. It's hard, like cutting your arm. But it's hard. And all of it does come back to, it's all perception. It, just, it comes back to rewiring your brain. Literally, it's like. Absolutely. You have one way of, and the thing is that way of thinking doesn't start there. Like I, I truly believe that new ways of thinking are hard to come across. That that self-blame for me was started somewhere. Like that, that way of thinking starts. It's all. Victim consciousness, like we think the way we've always thought. And we actually have to think differently. I don't know the neuroscientific term, but it's really uncomfortable actually to, to rewire our brain. To take like a, a very specific way of thinking and feeling and changing it is uncomfortable. Like you're basically changing your body and mind. But 
we have to sit with that discomfort and be patient with it because there's beauty on the other side, right? I'm assuming like it took you a while to think differently, but once you did, and it was uncomfortable. Once you did, you it was worth it. It, it was yeah, worth well, it. Yeah. You know? Because I, I really like what you said. Sometimes we have to rewire our brain. It's not easy. It's not pleasant, but we have to do it. If we have to get help to do it, or we have to do it by ourselves, by by you know by reading, by talking, seeing doctor, whatever it is, we have to help ourselves to rewire it. For me, I had to do that. I had no other choice. I would be miserable, really miserable. It was so hard for me. But what I learned from that event that fate is real. Why? Because you can't run from it. You know, you cannot write. If if your destiny is that you're going to die at 90, you're going to die at 90. And if your destiny is you're going to die at 20, you're going to die at 20. Because right now that you and I are sitting, somebody was born. You agree? Yeah. Right now, at this second, somebody was like was born in the hospital. And right in this second, right now, somebody closes eyes and they're passed. This is the fact. Yeah. What can we do? We can just think about, oh, I might die. I might die tomorrow. I might. That's what people, they're not doing what they're supposed to do because they have a fear of dying. Dying is not termination. It's a transition. People don't understand that. You are transitioning to a new life. It's not death. There are psychological theories that say every single fear stems from the fear of death. Yeah. You believe that? Yeah. If, if some people, they have a fear, a, fear, a fear of fear of dying. I said, what the heck is that? What I'm saying is every single fear yeah. comes back to that. Somewhere. Yeah. Like that if, if you have no fear of dying, the theory is you have no fear at all. Yeah, that's, that's what, you know, everybody's telling me, why are you not afraid? I said, I can go back to work right now. I'm not afraid. You know, it's, it's, you have to welcome. This is funny, but sometimes you have to welcome death when it's your time is up. You know, we did a job in our company and we had to go to these nursing homes to memory care facility. We were doing a virtual tour, 360 tour. And I went with my team. And as an older gentleman was sitting at the table at the corner of the restaurant, which is they have the area, and we had to move him because he was in the shot, you know. And I went over there, and my camera guy said, would you, sir, go talk to him? I said, I go talk to him. And I said over there, hi, how are you? And he looked at him, he was reading a book. And I told him that, hey, we're doing this, you are in the shot, would you please move to other table that is not in the shot and he said no problem i said before you do that can i ask you something and he said yes son he was he's 90 94 some that ages and i said what is the what is the worst thing in life he just said one word regret and i said why he said because i sit here i'm 93 94 but I regret the things I haven't done in life. That really hit me so hard that day. I said, this guy's right. The worst thing in life is regret. The only thing stopping you from doing those things you regret is fear. Yep. Like, like this, not taking that 
opportunity, not, not asking that girl out, not writing that script. The only thing stopping you from doing those things is, is fear. It's like fear of talking, fear of engaging, fear of question, fear of fear of like you Failure, know yeah. everything, everything. You know, people they not doing what they're supposed to do, or they not reaching their goals, or they not becoming who they want to become because of fear. Oh, if I ask her out, she's going to say no. So what? You're going to be in the same place you were yesterday. Nothing changed. I want to ask for that deal. They're going to say no. So what? You didn't get that account. So what? You were in the same place as you were yesterday. It's the same recipe. So you have no, you don't give a fuck about hearing no. No. You don't care. No. <laughs> you ask someone to come on your podcast or invest in you and you, you hear no, you, you don't care at all. No. Go. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge superpower. Yeah, it's just because the, what is the, we go back to that. What is the worst case scenario? It's not dying. I always use as my manifestation thing. Every time I had the obstacle, I said, what is the worst case scenario? Is it dying? No. Then it's good. You can keep going, dude. If you say no, that doesn't mean that you. it wasn't a time, it wasn't a right moment, he doesn't know you, she doesn't know you. Give it a time, go forward, don't stop. Again, you stop, you die. Don't do that. Therefore, a lot of people, when they get no, they get so discouraged. Myself included. Yeah, but that gives me the, that gives me the fuel, actually. When you say no, I said, okay, uh, 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 that's good. That's good. <laughs> I go next. I go next. You know, I just recently asked a very famous author leadership and I didn't even know he's going to, he's going to say yes. And I said, would you be in my podcast, in my show? Because I love to tell the stories. He said, yes. Another person, the same level said, no. I said, okay. You know, so what? Just keep going. And that's how I, I do the life. But a lot of people, it's not a superpower. It's again back to what we discuss, what you tell yourself, and how much you think you're worth. The, the way you think you're worth, you're not going to be afraid of people saying no. How much you value yourself. I'm asking you, how much you value yourself? I'm weird. There's two sides of me. There's a side of me that's like delusionally confident. That's like insanely confident. There's a side of me that's the opposite. Just like insanely insecure. So I'll, some sometimes I'm like like the most confident person you ever, you ever come across. That's why I'm doing all this because I, I believe it'll go somewhere. But then I'm not. I'm nowhere in between. And some days or some moments I, I think I'm I'm a piece of shit or a failure, all that kind of stuff. So it's like this. this what <laughs> makes you to feel that you're a failure? It, it's hearing, most of the times hearing no, getting rejected. That's what makes me go to that. If, it's, if I think that this is a potential opportunity to get to that success or to get somewhere and I hear no, I take it as like, I'm, I can't, obviously not true. In the moment I perceive it as like, I can't get there from here. No. Or like, I'm a failure because I heard no, or I'm not worthy because I heard no. And not, it's obviously not true. It's, it's an illusion I create based on past trauma, but it's still, it still exists in my mind. It's the story you tell yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cause it, I, that's why I'm, I'm a, yeah. I'm a Buddhist in many ways. And the core Buddhism is just that. There's objective reality, which is just the no. That's it. And then subjective reality is your perception of the no. That the trauma, the I'm not worthy, that if we look at life with just as it is, right? If you just see the no, that's it just is. If you add the stories on top of it, that's not reality. That's just that's your own illusion. So what you're saying is that like you 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 also have an illusion, but it's positive, right? Like you yeah. you feeling like, yes, I can do the next thing. That's your own story. That that creates positive momentum. But you have you know? to be positive. Yeah, yeah. 
But being positive, everybody say, oh, be positive, do this. Being positive is bullshit. You have to be positive, realistic. Yeah. That door right now, I don't know what is behind that door. I can sit here and be afraid I'm not going to open it. I don't know what is it. Or I can fucking open it and see what is behind that door. I might like it and I'd like it. But I open the door. And you don't know what is behind it. People, they sit and think about, oh, should I push that handle? Should I open it? Should I? If, if it was no, it was something that, you know, is going to discourage me. Do it. Regardless, you got to go. But be realistic. Like if somebody's going to be saying no, that's a realistic of saying that. I said no, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. That person said no. That's the next person, next person, you know. I had this discussion with Simon Sinek. It's just the same thing, you know, why people do what they do. It just goes all back to ourselves, what we, leave, what we tell ourselves, what is stories. I can sit here and tell you all the story I want to myself, the baddest. I'll, after I leave, I would be like, oh, my God, I'm dead. But if you feed your mind with the reality, not bullshit that, oh, I want to be a millionaire, law of attraction. Do you believe law of attraction? I do. Like you believe that if you think a butt check is going to be on your mailbox, $100,000 mm-hmm. is going to be there? Not that. <laughs> I, I think it's more complicated than that. I think you have to believe it before. It's I, different. I don't exactly. believe it's like it just you can think it to exist. I think it's, you have to basically believe in in a, in a vision for the future and then create a plan to get there, create a line of action. So it's a combination. You have to combine it with work, I think. It's not just like it'll appear. I believe the power of visualization yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. and yeah. manifestation. Yeah. Like I, I'm a big visualized guy. I'm a visual guy. Yeah. I love diagram. I, I'm a very visual person. And I believe that the, one of the greatest force in universe is the power of visualization. Whatever you visualize, it, you want to, you will manifest, but you have to work toward that. It's a line to action. That's why I say it's exactly. Like, it's like you can't. You can sit on your butt and say, yeah, plan with the visualization. Exactly. You can't, yeah, you can't just sit on your butt and say, I want to be a millionaire. I want to do this. I want to create this beautiful podcast. If one day I had a podcast, it was like this. And no, let me get that board, put it up there. Let me get that phone, cut it. You have to start doing things and everything will, you know, manifest. That's what the problem with a human being is. They're all sitting in their comfort zone and they want everything come to them. Yeah. But you have to actually get up. And leave your comfort zone. And that's, you got to pay the price. Leaving your comfort zone, it comes with paying the price. How I left my country came here. What you did for your past trauma that you are right here. And where you want to go. The people you meet in your life. You step out of your comfort zone. Now you are where you want to be. Yes, you kind of remix it. Because the formula for law of attraction is basically like you just sit and, and think about it and it'll come your way. Without anything, that's like the, the definition. What you're saying is actually that once you go towards your fear, you go towards your discomfort zone, it'll, it'll come in some way. That like that the universe or God or something rewards you challenging yourself. The first barrier that you're going to face if you want to leave your comfort zone is the fear, if the wall of fear. You break, break through that, everything else is okay. And believe that there's a destiny, there's a purpose, and you are who you are and you're going to be who you want to be as long as you believe who you are. It can get very complicated, but it will all goes back to one simple thing. Who are you? That's it. If you define yourself as who you are, you like, I, I know who I am now. I can't change it. I believed it. 
You know, I get so many job offers, corporate job offers. I don't take it. I know my main thing is to have my company help others create jobs for other people and help as I go. Make it $50,000 a year or a million dollars a year. I don't give a shit. That's my thing. I believe I made peace with myself. But some people, they have that problem. They're stuck. How are you going to unstuck? You have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to change your mind, your beliefs, your self-awareness. The biggest problem that we have is a self-awareness, as we discussed. People, they don't know who they are. They're confused, man. They're really confused. I think the the modern disease is trying to find ourselves in things we're not right we like if, if something's not if something's not us it's not us right we think we can find ourselves in money fame recognition whatever it may be but money's not us the followers are not us it's not us but we only can find ourselves through internally right like we're not going to find ourselves in, a, in another object it only starts within you know you, you can't find yourself with physical matter you, you can only find yourself with internal awareness internal frequencies right so like it's this trap we find ourselves in that and you know most of the people as as you just mentioned they trying to find themselves by comparing themselves to others uh, you know oh the followers doesn't define you your instagram followers define you your your you know subscribers are definitely yeah it's good to have it it means that you did something but that does not define who you are if it's, you, not, it's not you. Yeah. It's literally not you. If you take it's a, a picture, yeah. If you take <laughs> yeah. a picture with a Lamborghini yeah. and say, "Hey, here," or go take a picture of a private jet, that doesn't define you. You did that. If you're listening or watching, I'm telling you, some people do this. They do this kind of thing because they think about what other people thinking about them. That's bullshit. The moment you think about what other people they're thinking about you, you already did. Why? Because it's not you. Yeah. It's not you. You're telling yourself again that a story that you and I would discuss. And also, you can't, you, one thing you can't control is people's perception of you. Exactly. It's totally whatever they're gonna, yeah. If good or bad, they're going to think whatever they're going to think. It's you based on their own story, their own illusions, their own traumas. Like, it's nothing to do with you. I, I know people that they are every day checking their social media or they say, oh, he said this about me. Oh, that's not right. That's not me. They get into it so much. That they lose themselves. They lose their identity. They become somebody else. You can't do that. You got to be who you are. Yeah. To, to end with this question, what was the biggest thing you did in your life to get there? Because it's easy to, for us to say, you know, never compare yourself. Don't live in a, don't derive yourself worth from other people's opinions. What was the biggest thing or most important thing you did in your life, do you think, to get to a place where you can say, other people's perception of me doesn't matter. I know who I am. That's a good question because the answer, believe it or not, is this. Why I'm sitting here. Nobody, most people, they didn't believe I can be a talk show host. I speak five languages. I have an accent, as you can hear it. I do public speaking. I do coaching. But they didn't believe I can do this. And it got to the point that they try to tell me that I can't do it. And if you look at my car license plate, it says you can. I'm a big believer of you can do anything as 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 soon as as long as you put your mind into it. It's all a mindset. For me, achieving my talk show and what I do right now with my follow, with the people that I talk to, interact with, 
I already achieved what I want. The channel that I can help other people, then I put myself in that situation against all the odds. I remember I tell you a short story and we can wrap it up. I was, you know, I was, uh, I was invited to speak for University of Texas for private uh, project management. Uh, they call it PMI, Project Manager, Manager Institute. There were four or 500 project managers. And then I had a friend, he said, dude, this is the big gig. You got to go get an accent coach. I said, well, why? I said, because you have an accent, man. You got to get American. They can start, you know, they can understand you, what you're saying, and all that stuff. And then I fell for it. I called this lady that he introduced me to. And I called the lady up and she was in LA. She was an accent coach, big time accent coach. And then I called her and she said, what do you want to do this? I said, this is the event is coming. They told me that if I get that American accent and everything else is better. And she said, I'm teaching, coaching people, actor, actresses, for the role they're playing to be somebody else. You can't do that. You have to be who you are. I'm not going to do it. Go up there and do what you're good at it and be who you are. And the audience will decide. And I was just said, what? And she hung up. And I went and I did what she said. It was amazing. And then four weeks later, as a lady reached out to me and said, can you speak for our organization? I said, how did you find me? I said, there was a lady in the audience you were speaking before. And she said, yeah, reach out to this guy with the accent. He's good. I said, wow, that should work. Now I learned that I am who I am. If the listeners, viewer, they're going to listen, which is they do it to my talk show, they love it. And some, they might not like it, but again, the perception. But I do what I love to do, and I'm just going to keep going. That was the highest thing I achieved, that to do what I love to do, connecting with people, telling their story, because I believe everyone has a story that can change other people's life. My story might help another person with the PTSD. Yeah. My, your story might help somebody else. We're all here to tell the stories and help each other. It's not about us. It's, not, it's about other people. And if we can change one person's life, we've done our job. Yes, sir. For sure. I want to thank you so much for oh, no, thank coming you. on and telling me. I really enjoy story. our conversation. You're a bright man. Oh, so are you. It's um just where you where you came from, you have a very easy outlet to not believe, to give up, to be a victim, to be an alcoholic, to be smoking cigarettes all the time, to be a miserable, you know, piece of shit. But you have done the opposite, which is very commendable. So I wanna, you know, give well, you give you kudos you. for that and uh, let people know where they can find you and watch your watch your amazing show. Yeah, we know my show is Talk to Rami, Talk Number Two R A M I, and you can find me on YouTube at Talk to Rami. My Instagram is at Talk to Rami. You can mess. I, I respond to my messages all the time, and you know I'm always here to help. I have people during the show. They send me a message. They ask me, "Can I talk to you?" And I talk to them because, as I said, if I can help one person, I done my job. And that's, that's my whole goal. And you got, you got to keep in mind that at the end of the day, we're all humans and we all need each other. And we all can learn from each other regardless of our nationality or skin color 
or where you come from, what you have studied, it doesn't matter. We all under one God, under one nation, and they call it the earth, mm-hmm. the world. That's that's what we do. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.